Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. This episode is part of the Founder Series, where I explore the mental fitness required for entrepreneurs and teams to thrive during the most demanding phases of building a business. Because when minds thrive, so do innovations, teams, and businesses. We all win. Today, founder, investor, coach, and CEO of Practice, Julian Smith, joins me. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You got it. I have to say, Julian, I was originally when I was、uh, about to do your bio, I was going to say, "Oh, welcome back, two-time guest of the show." Then realized, wait a second,、uh, my our first interview actually wasn't on the show, and it was on Eureka、uh, by Baron Fig, where we and I highly encourage people、uh, listening to check it out because we really dove into a lot of the backstory of Breather. And also some of the practices and, and way that you think and how you surface these ideas. I remember there's the, you shared the scene about I think being at the bar when the idea for、uh, for breather came up and whatnot. So I only share that just because we'll we'll probably most likely won't cover some of those、uh, backstory details as this one's very focused on、um, founder mental fitness. But for people that want a little bit more history, you can check that episode out. So. To begin, though, before we get into the topic, same question everyone gets, and that's just, who are you? You know what、oh. what defines you as we sit here today? Because that evolves, as I know. Oh man,、uh, it's a good question. I feel like I I'm still figuring that out. You know,、uh, I can、Human. say this though. I'm I'm really driven by by creation, making things. I've written books. I've Uh, written blogs for years. I started podcasts and ran them many years ago.、Uh, I've started businesses and raised money to do so.、Uh, I've built stuff in between all of those things.、Uh, they tend to be based on the internet in some place, and、uh, and then and then I, I just I, I follow my intuition and I follow what is. What's happening next? In a lot of cases,、mm. is how I think about it. And、uh, so, what am I? I guess today,、uh, I think of myself as a founder and CEO of a company, Practice, which is、uh, a which serves solopreneurs, specifically coaches. But、uh, before that, a lot of things. But these days, as we said,、uh, I've been a, a technology founder and CEO for. Around ten years, and so、yeah. that's a majority of my identity today. And turns out, it's something that I'm I'm proud to be pretty good at, actually. Yeah. What keeps you lit up and curious about this tech and entrepreneur, and I guess online space world? Yeah,、uh, it's. It, I will tell you that you know, there's a lot of. Because my, my my books have been read a lot, right? And so、yeah. one of the things that you get from books, which is really nice, is you get this like, you do it, it's done, it's out there, people find it, and like I don't know, an airport bookstore or something, and、uh, and hopefully it connects with them, but it's gone forever. So there is this kind of sense of infinite scale if you can write a really good book type of thing. But I will say that in venture, when you raise money, and if your network is really decent. You get access to amazing talent, like talent like you've never seen before. You get people that are missionaries towards a certain cause, and if that cause is aligned with you, like they naturally, y'all want to work together, right? Yeah. And so,、uh, 
and, and you get access to be able to help a lot of people and have a lot of people use something that you made from scratch. And so uh, with my last business, uh, Breather, which was in 10 cities across many nations and like all these other things, you know, millions of people have used it. And even today, I get told that people uh, really use it a lot in certain cities and all these things. So it's very rewarding to have that happen. And, And so that's those are a few of the things that drive me to stay in this space and to build businesses in this space when I could be doing like any number of other other things. The access to instant scale, the access to be able to help a lot of people, the fact that there's this standard of growth, which is like, you gotta grow really fast. All those things make it very, very compelling to do. Fascinating. I mean, I, I'm happy to have reached you at, at this point in your career and where you're at with practice and where you came from. Uh, I mean, it's just one part of your journey, obviously, with Breather. There's a whole other career before that, right? Speaking and writing and, and, and whatnot. But if I were to look at Breather and practice and, and look at the companies from an investment standpoint, yeah, Breather, correct me if I'm wrong, I think somewhere you guys raised around $150 million or something like that. That's right. Um, okay. And then and then Practice, most recently, uh, just raised a, a $10 million seed round. That's right. Which, yeah, from Anderson Horowitz and Tony Robbins. Yeah, Tony it's from, Robbins. Some and, good people, yeah. Yeah. And Greg Eisenberg, who I don't know if you know, <laughs> Greg Eisenberg was, I think, interview, he, he interviewed number three on this podcast four years ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. in Montreal. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, small world. But I, I guess I guess what I wanted to ask from your perspective, from a from a mental standpoint, how different has it felt going through those rounds with with breather to what you just did now? Mm-hmm. Is yeah, there a distinction? Super, yeah, there is a distinction. And psychologically, uh, what happens when you are uh, I'm fortunate that uh, venture the venture businesses that I've built have always, like at minimum for sure, found product market fit and have been able to scale. And I've had access to talent and like all these other things, right? Sure. And so I've never. Uh, I'm fortunate, I should say, that I've never been in a uh, and founded a business that like just kind of sat there, had raised some money, but just could never take off or something like. Yeah, it's funny to say I've just never that's that's never happened to me. And so uh, when you do find product market fit for the first time, which happened to us with Breather after we'd raised like a million something dollars, uh, it was like, okay, whoa, okay, this is happening. I went out and I raised my Series A, which was six million at that time. But I was just learning as I went and I was on a treadmill of raising money every 18 months or death. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's a that's a psychologically very difficult, emotionally very difficult treadmill to be on, especially yeah. as you're learning how to do the job. You don't really know what you're doing. And keep in mind, I had no background in finance. I had I didn't have an MBA. I had not gone to Stanford like a lot of these founders uh, yeah. do, I, I, I guess, or other top schools. Uh, <laughs> and so my experience was super uh, in, independent, right? Like like kind of we're going to we're going to build something here and almost like crazy ambitious relative to what 
I had done before, but somehow mm-hmm. it worked. And so, uh, so you're learning as you go and you're, you're freaking out and you're trying to learn as much as possible. Uh, and it, I'm, I'm in, I'm in a space that isn't a SaaS business like I run today. That's really a business that needs to have a real estate team, a sales team, a marketing yeah. team and operations and a cleaning team. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm building a business that is crazy ambitious. One of my founders, um, that I coach these days, said to me that it looked like I did this on hard mode the first time that I ran a business. Okay. I had never heard that before, but it's, yeah. it's actually, it's totally right. Breather was a business on hard mode where you had to, you, there was no need to focus in, uh, it could, you just could not because there were so many different things that you needed to solve. And so here, uh, now. Having, Hold on, Julian, before you yeah, go yeah, there, yeah, just yeah, go ahead. In, in hard mode, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, like, did you have any type of mental fitness or any practices that were helping you through that? Mm-hmm. Or was uh, it just like, do whatever you can to essentially survive those at stages? At the Series A, I needed, I got an exec coach. Uh, okay. And um, I had always, uh, I had a big meditation practice for a long time. I always do free writing in the morning, which is a habit that I've had for, I think, like 20 years, a super long time. Okay. And so I have uh, I have rituals. It's funny we were joking around about rituals before, but yeah. I have rituals that kind of like keep me as grounded as I possibly can while I'm doing this. But that doesn't mean that things that are crazy difficult aren't crazy difficult. It just gives you a certain groundedness of like I'm going to be alive after this. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I think today in 2022, as we're recording this. There's a lot more openness about the freakouts that founder go, founders go through. Just yesterday, Andy Dunn, who's the founder of Bonobos, which is like okay. a clothing company, but it's like a New York startup for a while that was yeah. like known, came out with this book, and he's coming out with this book in which he talks about how he was inst- he's institutionalized right before his company um, uh, was sold. And how he's recently like come out and and being open about the fact that he has bipolar disorder. Okay, mm. and so so uh, I'm fortunate that I don't think that I have any of those things. But but I I've also I, I have a foundation that is based in needing to get eight hours of sleep a night because I have epilepsy, and because I have epilepsy. I have been sleeping for eight hours my entire life, which is what most people, I I guess, never give themselves the privilege of doing. And so I think that I have a stability that it it doesn't mean I don't stress out. It doesn't mean I haven't had my own problems, but I have a stability and an ability to, to, to reset in the morning that I think that other people simply don't have. They start with the problems from last night and they freak out from the problems of last night. I do not. And so when you combine that with this business that I run today and the fact that I've been a CEO before and that I've run it on hard mode, all these things, I'm in a much more stable place psychologically, emotionally, all these other things, Uh, even though you have to grow a business and it's hard and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I have a sense as to how to do this. And, and, uh, and I think a lot of people that do it for the first time just do not. No. No, and there's it's interesting because I, I feel like what's covered most often is is burnout from the perspective of like working in the corporate world of things. And and I've I didn't experience that. I saw it when I was in that space for about a decade. But then I, I feel like what's not talked about as much is 
if you do leave that space and you jump into the entrepreneurial world, there's almost like a, what I would call passion burnout mm-hmm. because you're, you, you know, it, it, all of a sudden it doesn't feel like work because it's mm-hmm. just, it's like your life, right? And you're so mm-hmm. passionate about it. But yeah, it, it's, it's, I, I see often just no, no shutdown or reset periods or just, you know, slow down for your, for yourself, for example. And, 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 yeah. you know, thank you, you shared some amazing practices and I, I would say that's, outside of the norm from at least what I see on a, on a day-to-day basis, right? Even just sleep. You know, yeah. Even, yeah. That, that's population definitely doesn't yeah. sleep well. Right. And I think yeah. that's a foundation that only now is being recognized. Just before we, you and I were chatting earlier today, uh, at the beginning of today, before that, I was talking to somebody who is, who runs a network of coaches that is associated with a venture capital firm. And so 10 years ago, you would never have seen this, right? This set of coaches that have the ability to support companies that that fundamentally are on a stressful arc, right? Like yeah. all all uh, uh, startups, you know, are on a stressful arc, whether they're succeeding or failing or in between. All of those arcs are stressful arcs. Yes, and so uh, the support system in 2022 here is there. First of all, it exists. And then second of all, it's like well understood and it's like accepted and and thought of as a good thing versus like maybe even five years ago, like you were weak or whatever the judgment was then. Hello, everyone. I first wanted to say thanks for being here and I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to let you know if you're interested, I just launched the Better Questions newsletter designed to provide you with a consistent 15-minute opportunity to pause and think because a pause leads to clarity and operating with intention where we all win and thrive. The newsletter is short, simple, and practical, providing you with three quality reflective prompts and mental fitness twice a month. But as always, I'll adjust the frequency based on your feedback. Never forget, at any point, you are always one question away from a completely different life or outcome. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com, which will also give you a free preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. BehindTheHuman.com. Now back to the show. It's definitely changing, but I, I mean, and part of the reason why taking on this this docu-series, I still hear comments like from founders that are, you know, they're stressed. Obviously, there's a lot going on to your point. Um, and there are comments made like, well, no, I, I can't show that vulnerability to, mm-hmm. you know, the group that's basically funding the operations right now. So there's, a, mm-hmm. there's still some of that there. And I guess what I'm trying... What I'd love to do uh, with this series and, and why I'm trying to bring on founders as well as partners from, from institutional uh, and, and investment rounds and so forth is to just where the conversations aren't happening, try to spark that up. Mm-hmm. And because, I mean, I think we can all agree, like as soon as your, your mind stops working, whether it's the founder of the team, I mean, so does the business and, and oh, the sure. ideas, right? Sure. So Much further I mean, than you would expect. Yes. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't think that's the, the the argument, but it's just how do we set it up? And maybe it's it's what you mentioned with this network of coaches that are linked up to some uh, mm-hmm. to uh, various VCs. Like, how can we get more of that? And also, I'm interested. Like you mentioned at your around your Series A uh, period where you brought on an exec coach. Mm-hmm. Like at the different levels of building a business, what 
you know, what do we evolve in terms of the, the mental fitness as well, right? Yeah. There's, there's things, right? There's like foundational elements with mm -hmm. the business and there's growth, there's, there's this, there's onboarding, you know, the team and so forth and there's partnering. Mm -hmm. But what about in parallel, mm -hmm. like how we keep our minds as, as healthy as possible? Yeah, just the, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, there's so many. Uh, the, um, I'll say that one of the things that people struggle with early, but that can actually psychologically begin to trap them, Mm -hmm. is imagine that you are on a treadmill of growth or you're trying to grow. Growing, by the way, quote unquote, fast, to give you a sense, uh, is like maybe at this stage, like 20% a month. Let's call that fast. Okay. That's growing 900% yeah. a year, 9x per year, excuse me. And so that's really fast, right? And it's hard yeah. to do that. So now you're on this treadmill uh, and you have to, you have to, ideally, you're trying to keep this growth going. So here's one of the mistakes that you can make and how it won't trap you right away, but how it'll begin to trap you over time. One version of this is I am going to hire someone. They're actually not that great. Let's say they're a marketing person, but they're they're 75% of what you really need or 50% sure. of what you really need, which is tough when the business is growing really fast. And so as a result of that, you uh, the way I would I say this, and I said it with a CEO during a coaching session yesterday, as I said, you don't have a line of trust down the org. In the org chart, looking down the, the organizational chart, it stops at your VP of marketing or something. And so down the line, you don't trust those people down the line either, beyond mm. the VP of marketing. So, so here, what this is going to create with you over time is it's going to create an increasing sense of isolation and an inability to have other people solve problems, it's going to force you to oversolve. Okay. And so that's that's one of the things. Now imagine that's with one department. Imagine that you have that for three or four departments. Now all of a sudden you're trying to do too much and you're like an octopus with like eight arms trying to do everything. Yeah. There's a huge problem that can occur at scale with a founder. It's catastrophic, right? Yeah. That's one example. Uh, Another example is trying, it's sort of adjacent, but it's trying to do things that are not in your zone of genius. And so as, as an early on as a founder, it's interesting. I, I was on Twitter yesterday and I saw that there was a dude talking about his first year of running a, um, a self storage business okay. and how all of his ads were just him and his wife writing uh, on the uh, writing chalk with chalk on the pavement. Yeah. And they wrote all 12 hours a day. They were just like doing ads on chalk uh, on, on the pavement <laughs> of their town. And when they asked people later on, like, oh, how did you hear about it? It would just say everyone would say friend or chalk. Right. Because the ads were so <laughs> yeah, yeah. effective. Yeah. So I think that this story is amazing. Uh, but I, it, this is you, when you're a, a founder, you don't have a lot of cash. You are going to do everything. But there's a mm -hmm. set of things that you hate. OK, yeah. that's just normal of any person. And they're different for whoever the person is. But if you continue to do those things for years, you will eventually burn out. And what your objective should be is to give those things away as completely as possible with the line of That's, trust staying yeah. complete. Because if you yeah. hate marketing, but the line of trust is broken, you're screwed because you mm -hmm. don't know how to do it and you hate it. And then there's somebody and you don't trust them. And so you like, what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. And so ideally you're giving away things 
and you're staying inside of, ideally, if you are a founder, you're, you have some zone of genius. Let's assume that you could do something really well. And <laughs> so you should ideally stay in that zone as long as you can. That and makes only sense. There. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it. I love that you you made that distinction of like giving giving those tasks away completely. Because I, I, I do think we trick ourselves, right? We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, so-and-so is helping with this. But mm-hmm. really, I mean, there's still, you know, 25% mental capacity that you're giving towards whatever the situation is, right? And yeah. that, and it, it, you know, I, I heard a story like, that I'll never forget about Jack Dorsey. Okay. Jack Dorsey was a re- original CEO at Twitter, right? Yeah. Many years ago. <laughs> Who's the Twitter CEO tomorrow? <laughs> I don't know. But we'll origi- the original CEO uh, was Jack Dorsey. And, uh, and he was fired by Fred Wilson. And uh, he was, uh, then he started Square, and he had learned a lot. I, I learned this from somebody who worked with Jack Dorsey back in the day. And he had learned a lot as a founder and as a CEO. And the first time he was very involved in a lot of things. And the second time he would just sit in meetings and not say anything. And all that he would do and all that he saw as his job is to say, I am here to tell the story of what the business is doing. And so instead of acting, I, I try to do this in, in certain ways in my business. For example, when product meetings happen, what CEOs sometimes try to do because they like product and they want to be involved in yada, yada, is they'll be like, oh, I think we should prioritize this feature or this feature. I deliberately never prioritize features. I always just watch the team prioritize features. That's okay. all that I do. I, I, literally, I don't think I've ever prioritized a feature at practice ever. And so uh, the reason is because I don't need to, and there's no reason for me to do it. Mm-hmm. And so there is this tendency to want to be involved as a founder. So when you're pre-product market fit, it's probably a good idea. But post-product market fit, you should absolutely try to not be involved, but have the line of trust be excellent. And so that's a, that's a way of, that's a change in behavior that needs to be done really deliberately. But if you're a first time founder, you don't know that. So that's a great point. So then I guess my, my follow-up question is from a practical standpoint in a perfect world, if we were able to design the support, you know, obviously this change, everyone's different, but the, just the general baseline support that, that founders, uh, can tack onto or, 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 or grab onto like what, how would you see that playing out? You're, you're probably doing that in, in the stage of business you're at right now. I mean, you know some of these things. You saw something at one point from Jack Dorsey, and you're, obviously, you're also well-read. I, I know that. But for, for the masses, you know, they're at, they're at the stage where they just raised a, a pre-seed or a seed round of whatnot, and like things are changing, to your point, fast, mm-hmm. right? From a business perspective, what would you suggest as a framework of some sort to, to help almost like slow down the minds a bit so that they can mm-hmm. see these things, yeah. right? Well, I would say it's self-serving. It's self-serving for me to say this, but you should get an exec coach. And so, yeah. the, but the difficulty is sometimes an exec coach is someone who has not done it before. Sure. Sometimes it is someone that has done it before. So I would typically say along, there's two lines. I, I was talking recently to Chad Dickerson, who was the ex-CEO of Etsy when it went public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And what happened is the founders were no longer the CEO. I forget who the original CEO was. And then 
Jack, excuse me, Chad Dick Dickerson was the CEO as Etsy was going public, and then he became an exec coach afterwards. And you never hear from him; he's just he's just out there doing it, right? Okay. And so uh, him and I were talking about this idea of CEOs becoming exec coaches once they've done it at scale. You just have this pattern matching that other people don't have. Mm-hmm. And and so w- one of the things that this allows you to do, if you have such a person, is it allows you to kind of see around corners a little bit. Right. Yeah. It's difficult because as a coach, what your intention is, what you're supposed to be doing, quote unquote, if you're like a traditional coach, according to the way the ICF tells you to be, is you're supposed to be asking, you're supposed to be inquiry based and you're supposed to be asking questions. And and God forbid you should tell your your (laughs) client what to do. Yeah. So true. And, And they wouldn't they wouldn't approve of that. And uh, and the way that Chad then said this to me in a conversation we had is he's like, I don't know, because my clients really appreciate that I was a CEO and sometimes they definitely want to hear my opinion. Yeah, that right? just saved millions of dollars. And Literally, it might have saved right? millions of dollars. If, <laughs> if, and, so, and so I, I, that's one way to do it. Yeah. The other way is to get a set, a circle, a private circle of CEOs. Mm. that have various levels of experience or to be around CEOs of companies as much as you possibly can at dinners, in private groups, uh, you know, whatever other thing that you can manage or have investors that have been CEOs or currently are CEOs. All those things are really helpful uh, because there are so many problems, right? Uh, the the founder of uh, Okta, recently mm. came out with a book called Zero to IPO. He came out with it like two, three days ago. Okay. And I'm midway through it today, I think. And um, and as I read it, you just realize like when someone is an operator, just how different they talk about a business. Because I've been a, 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 I've been a, an author before of business books. And I was yeah. an author of business books, as you know, before I was a CEO. Oh, and so yeah. now today, there's some stuff that I wrote that I'm very proud of even today. But then there's some stuff that I'm like, oh, I definitely this reads as someone who has never run a business before because I wrote my first book when I was 28 years old in a unique situation. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's and it, it's actually even even more embarrassing because it sold really well. So it's actually really a lot <laughs> of people. Uh, so it, it was uh, but there is a lot that stands up. I'm fortunate for that. Yeah. But as an operator of a business, you just know so much more. And uh, and so it's it's to really be surrounded by people like that. I will say that as a first-time founder, I was very afraid to, to be vulnerable. And so I didn't want to expose things that I didn't know. This causes two types of people have two responses to this behavior. Either they'll go and they'll be like, I we we got this, we got we got it figured out. Yeah. Don't worry about us. We're good. And or they uh, will try and say nothing at all, right, about said situation. These days, it is, and I, f- I find it very clarifying to be able to talk to investors or to anyone in the business and to say, uh, here's what we have figured out. Here's what we haven't figured out. And just to be completely straightforward about it. And I'll, actually, mm-hmm. I'll say it on the show. My business practice uh, which we talked about just a moment ago, raised $10 million. Yeah. So, and now we've, we've got almost all of it left. That's great. Uh, and we, our product is really sticky, which is yep. great. It's more sticky on average than the product of its category. And 
it's growing really fast, but we're not at a stage where we're ready to do the next financing because the numbers aren't yet impressive enough. And so, so I'm talking about the things that have, that are working yeah. and I'm talking about the things that have not yet been working. And if I'm able to convey that to someone who probably knows better in the first place than to see through my bullshit, right? Sure. Then, it, then they're like, oh, this, this person is, this person actually sees the problems in the business. When someone goes, I'm killing it. When the reaction is <laughs> to someone who knows what they're doing is like, this person is delusional. Yeah. They do not know what they're doing. And, and they, it's like, uh, as one advisor said to me one time, he's like, I can't tell if you're lying or stupid. <laughs> if you're lying, you're lying to me about the problems you have in the business or not. Why are you doing that? Or even worse, you're stupid and you really think that you don't have these problems. So neither lying nor stupid is good. It's much better to uh, be able to talk honestly about the problems that you have. What would you, like staying within that vein, what would you suggest then or an approach to bring up, again, just feeling if the founder and the team feels overwhelmed in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, and like how to go down that route? Because I'm curious to see, I mean, you know, I mean, you and I are both in like this work and especially with, with practice, I, I would have, I'm assuming here, but I'm, I'm imagining that your, your current team is surrounded by a lot of support. Obviously. I mean, it's, it's the work, but if you were to transport yourself back into the breather days mm-hmm. at the same phase, you know, like wh- what would you bring in and when, for example? Yeah. Or, or, so I, I guess right. that's two questions that plus having the conversation with, with your investors. Yeah. So, it, so the first thing is I would bring in a lot more operators that had done it before. It's, it's yeah. difficult when you're kind of creating something wild and out there. A lot of people don't believe in you. And I didn't have the social proof, right? It wasn't like, like today, my investor is Andreessen Horowitz, my, my lead investor, which is widely considered to be maybe the top or yeah. one of the top two funds, right? Yeah. And so everyone wants to join my fucking company. That wasn't, that wasn't true in the breather days in the same way, right? It was much more out there. It was a much more wild investment by the people who first invested in me, which I'm still very grateful for. And so it's harder for you to get super smart people to join your business. There's different ways that I could have solved this. I could have solved it faster on an advisory basis. I could have solved it by giving more equity to people and being like, you know what? Yeah, I think you're the best. Like, I'll give you 5% of the company or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are things that I could have solved there. But in, what I had to do instead is, uh, is I had to invest in what I thought was very smart, underserved, un, undiscovered type of person. And so I would find randos mm-hmm. and I would be like, wow. And I would elevate these randos in the org as much as I, I could, right? Mm-hmm. People that did not have the, the proof of being a top person yet. Many, by the way, are like, or like successful founders today or, or uh, sure. high profile figures today. And so uh, being able to elevate people like that is a way to solve it. But I wish that we had surrounded ourselves with more people that had done it before and that understood like the generalized pattern of how a startup is supposed to begin to, to work. And sure. we did it from outside in the wilderness, like way more, way longer than most people had. And I have to tell you, I, even today I'm impressed, you know, uh, that, that 
I was able to do anything like this because I, I actually thought that it was so rare that a startup could succeed that I thought that I would never be able to do it again. But which, by the way, is even more like puts even more psychological pressure on you Yeah. versus being like a startup is a pattern. And there's a reason that a guy was able to start or be a pseudo founder of PayPal, then Square, then Open Door then open store, like literally be able to over and over again, just repeat it. Same guy was able to start Zillow, then was able to start fucking uh, open uh, a greenhouse. No, wait, that's not the one. But like over and over and over again, be able to do the same thing. And same guy yeah. started Expedia, by the way, before that. Okay. So it's people that know how to do these things and that there's a repeatable framework for doing that. And I just didn't have anybody really like that in my, in my previous experience. Now I am one of those people to a degree. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So then on that, uh, just that's the business side, but I guess when would you, there, there's the, the point when the, the founder has, you know, you suggest surround yourself with, uh, either a circle of CEOs that you trust really well that have done it before, uh, or bring these people in as well. Um, hire an executive coach, um, but when would you bring either some training or support in for the overall team? Like when would you onboard that, again, that mental support for, mm -hmm. for the team? I think uh, I would have done something earlier as well, which is I would have gotten a coach for the whole team so we could work as an exec team better together would be one sure. way that I would do it. And then uh, I would find mentors on a department wide in a department wide way. And one of the things is just like everybody was freaking out. Yeah. Right. And so that's definitely a part of it. Uh, and, and I think there are services like torch and like better up that just allow people to have that kind of venting that they can do and be able to uh, kind of surround them with people like that in a way that was just not possible back then. Yeah. So it's it in short, uh, I think that what happens when you have done it a second time or when you've connect, connected with a successful or a company that's growing for a second or third or more times is you're just like, okay, so how are we going to prevent the company from dying while this explosive growth is happening? And and so you don't really know to to stop your people from freaking out. And so yeah. it, it so people would burn out because because we had not really given them an ecosystem and like HR in a traditional way doesn't really solve this. Right. Cause you have yeah. these, uh, it, it, it isn't really supporting uh, a person in a company that has all of that pressure. It's supporting an average pressure employee, which is yeah. not what, ha what happens at a startup. The pressure is higher than average. For sure. For sure. That's super helpful. I mean, I think it's just even just having this conversation just uh, for, for people on the other side that, that may be running a business or on a team, like just to even open up the dialogue, right? Uh, first of all, that they're not alone in, mm -hmm. in feeling like things are a bit out of control or feel like they're, I like your line about whether whether you're, whether the company's growing really well or mm -hmm. not. I mean, it's stressful either way, right? I mean, yeah. it's just a good, I think, mm -hmm. I think that's a good level set um, to, to, to come into a situation realistic, right? And be okay with, with you know, that's, that's the reality at this point. Um, try, and that there yeah. are tools, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. And, and, and the, 
Uh, yeah, I just I, I think there's a tendency when you're when you're young or when you're building something to be like be like I'm alone doing this, and because I'm innovating at the product level, like I'm trying to put a product out that's better, I'm also gonna I'm also probably the first person who's ever done this. Yeah, I'd be like no no no, you're innovating on the product level. Yeah, but everything else has been done before. Yeah, so and, true. So you see these, sometimes you see people that want to innovate in, in these weird places. Like we're going to do finance differently. Very bad idea. <laughs> we're going to do HR differently. We're going to, we're going to start holo, you know, holacracy. And so nobody yeah. has a manager and, and nobody is CEO or like whatever random yeah. thing. I remember right? that trend. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know I work with people who have been in holacracy type companies and actually they're really smart. It's just that I think that it causes more strain than sure. it needs to. When in reality, running a, a product that's innovative and having it succeed at a, a ideally a global scale, increasing at a really rapid rate is stressful enough. And just try to make everything else standard, as standard as you can. Mm, that's such a great point. Is Yeah. The last thing uh, I just want to ask you about is just what, what questions, and, and you don't have to put you know, your VCs on the spot, but just in general, the, the, mm -hmm. I guess the industry, like what questions are we not asking, you know, when it, when it comes to not, like I said, not just supporting founders with, with business strategy and, and financials, but going through the stage and making sure that their minds are, are healthy and thriving. Yeah. I well, I will say that Andreessen Horowitz is kind of like a fund that is crazy with regards to this, where okay. they have, they employ like 400 people, it's a gigantic, it's a gigantic, it's almost like not even a venture fund. It's so fucking big. Yeah. And so you're like, you're like, oh, uh, yeah, how do we run an H, how do we run an HR team? Because you have lots of these randos that have never run a company before. And they're yeah. like, Andreessen is like, yeah, we got a team of 10 people. They're going to tell you how to do it. And they're going to show you how to do the thing before. And so for anything that you want to do, uh, we're doing a, a deal with Silicon Valley Bank at the moment. It's like, not really relevant what it is, right? Sure. But uh, along along the way, even though I've done, personally done deals like this before, uh, Andreessen Horowitz's person that deals with this has been guiding us the entire way. So even yeah. though you, you might have founders that have never done it before, you have this fund, and this fund has the structure of we support you for everything. Like we will, we always have someone to call, and this is a very unusual structure, but yeah. probably. It's going to be established almost everywhere. The first place that you see it is you see it uh, typically in venture funds and they have a recruiting partner would be the first place that you see it because the talent, getting access to the talent is the most important thing. But uh, and A16Z is what they call themselves. Yeah. Uh, has it for literally every department for anyone you can call. You're like, yeah, I kind of have this growth problem. No, 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 no. They put someone on the phone that works for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy. And I think, but that, that level of support is what's needed uh, because the scale is so crazy and, and the work is so hard and all these other things. Well, this is what, it, this is, this is the whole objective of, of what we're talking about or right. with this series is like, how do we, cause I know it exists, obviously it's not like it, you know, that it's not happening, but it, it's not, it's not the default or the standard of care, let's just say at, at this mm -hmm. point. And they just want to, you know, hopefully it gets to that point, just like, you know, a lot of people just mental health in general are, are just speaking about it more, but it's not, you know, let's, let's move from, from speaking about it and, and actually do something about it and help others along the, along the way to, to do that. Right. 
mm-hmm. and and find I think just find the solutions that that match up because it's like you know in a perfect world it'd be sure if there was no you know cap on on resources or anything like that any team right from the beginning everyone's got you know coach they have the support but like let's just be realistic on maybe for that founder your mm-hmm. focus is to sleep eight hours you know yeah, for the next for sure. year yeah. right mm-hmm. like just yeah. like figure out the, found, the, like the, the a founder, fundamentals a founder as much as possible needs to be able to ignore problems as much as solve problems because there's like 50 problems in my business today just as an example most yeah. of them will not kill us sure there are like two that will kill us so we just yeah. only solve for those two right yeah and it's uh there is a tendency with people that have not done it before be like well, this needs to be better be like hold on just let that get just let that stay fucked up for now, right? Yeah. For example, yeah, and and uh, and the it, it's a weird thing to say. Yeah, 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 that's terrible, and we're just going to let it stay terrible for the moment because we can't, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, let that fire burn a little bit there. It's not touching the main building yet. That's a, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> it's close, but <laughs> it's not uh, okay. yeah. Well, so last question for you, Julian. Thank you uh, for for entertaining all these questions. It's uh, it's a different format of a show for me as well just mm-hmm. trying to unpack some of these things so thank you um what are what are some of your non-negotiables right now with your any of your rituals or routines mm-hmm. uh whether you know it's for your mind body spirit everything in between yeah man there's another article i recently read about this as well so i'll i'll the the one that this dude talks about is he talks about boundaries that he needed to set up for himself because okay. he was like the president of Wealthfront or something. And he needed to figure out what his boundaries were to succeed. I'll actually, I'll send it to you after this and we'll yeah, put it please. in the show notes or something. Yeah. Right? And so um, it, it's, it's, uh, it is remarkable that when I started this business, I actually wrote a set of boundaries for myself before I started it. Ooh, and so okay. it, uh, the way that he divides it, he's divides it into like reds, like absolutely cannot do. And then yellows, which are like, those are the limits of what I can and cannot do. And then greens, which are, I, if I do this, I thrive. Right. Mm. And although mine was not completely, um, uh, it not, it was not so, uh, delineated in that way. Cause I didn't have that framework before. I was very strictly like, I never want to r- run a business in an office again, was one example. Sure. And this was before pandemic and then the pandemic happened and that's mostly bad like for people, but, yeah. but for this specific situation, it turned out to be exactly what I wanted. And so I was like, I want to run this business partially remote and keep in mind, breather was almost like a remote office business, mm-hmm. but it was run from within an office. Yeah. And so I had, I was in an office five days a week, which I, I did in, in retrospect, I would not do again. And so okay. that was, that's a, an example of a boundary of a psychological boundary I needed to run up against in order to know that it was not for me. But I would urge people to make lists of these red, yellow, greens for themselves as much as possible. And then in my to-do list, I actually have a recurring thing that I set up every 30, 60, 90 days or whatever it is to be able to review these boundaries mm-hmm. to make sure that I have not crossed them. So and important. so there's examples like you shouldn't, you shouldn't, and it's silly, silly things, but when you're when you're running a business, you just don't know, right? And so it's like, you got to make sure that you enjoy the people that you work with and that the culture is good, right? Because if you don't pay attention to those things, you will end up not want to work there, wanting to work there yourself. And yeah. so 
there's all these things that are basically like little tripwires that allow you to pay attention to what really matters to you. And ideally, you set these up for yourself so yeah. that you're having a conversation with yourself in an honest way, whatever amount, every 30 days, every 60 days. And you could also course correct because mm. you have set, written these things down. Well, and you're allowing yourself to pause the autopilot. That's true. Right? You can pause the right? autopilot. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, it's so, I mean, that's, I love that. I'm going to, I'm actually going to do that for, for myself, even my solo operation here. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's important. Amazing. Well, I mean, thank you again for, thanks for bringing all of your, you know, your energy and, and mental power to this world and in the businesses that you're creating that are impacting so many different people. I mean, you know, there's obviously a thank you for your time for being on the show, but I, I like, I won't, I want to extend a higher thank you that, you know, even just practice alone, how much of a ripple effect that's mm. having across the world because of the work that you and the team are, are putting out into this world. So thank you for, yeah, for I, I hope that. It, I appreciate that very much. Uh, when people uh, are happy about the work that we do, I just say to them, thank you. We work really hard. <laughs> yes. And so, uh, thank you. Uh, we work really hard and we really care about what we do. And I, I hope that that, that shows itself in the product these days, I think. And it shows itself in, in terms of, uh, all the, it was saying before this call, it's also good marketing when you, yeah. when you drive, when you really help people, it's good marketing, right? Yeah. If that's aligned, then it, it works out. 100%. And I, like I said, I've, I've, I've experienced and I've seen as well, like, you know, from some of your earlier days, just I've seen the whole product evolve and, mm-hmm. uh, it's fun to, to be a part of that and experience it. And, and, and to your point, you know, receive high value emails, you know, with newsletters <laughs> that you actually save the yeah. content and not yeah, just yeah. delete the email. Right. So, mm-hmm, for sure. so thank you. And thank you team wishing you a fantastic rest of the day and hope to see you again. Thanks for having me.